0: My mission is simple: to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome, to Kramer. I'd be willing to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put this all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Ooh, the market was cruising today, looking real good. Until the Fed press conference hit a retaining wall. (laughs) It triggered a wave of machine selling, with the Dow slipping 130 points at the close. You know, it was up 518 points, And then it fell 421. Crazy, not a swing. While the S and P lost 0.15 percent, and the Nasdaq only edged up 0.02 percent. Not bad there, huh? For the last guys. We look at this. I me come on. It's getting really nutty out there. It was wacky, but it was ultimately a disappointing session for the bulls, who bought at the top and saw their hopes dash once again. So, did Fed Chief Jay Powell cause the sell off? Eh. There are enough people who are afraid of stocks now that it's very, very easy to trigger a panic. But here's the truth the truth about Jay Powell. He's smarter than his critics, and he knows how to do his job. He knows the economy's running too hot, and he needs to slow things down without causing a serious recession, something his critics seem to want. He's not trying to cater to the people who want easy money forever, or the inflationistas who want him to immediately hit us with a 50 basis point rate hike that would cripple the economy. You know what that's called? Prudence. The critics, especially those who don't care at all about how much our inflation is caused by COVID and supply chain disruptions, simply want someone to take a jackboot to the carotid artery of the market, oh yeah, and the economy. They want Powell to be judgmental, the opposite of prudence, and promise to raise interest rates repeatedly by, to stamp out inflation by strangling the very life out of business. Then there are the bulls who want permanently low rates because it's easier for them to make money. My takeaway, it's kind of like Aesop's fable. Please all, you please none. If you're a central banker, you're doing a pretty darn good job if you're making both the hawks and the doves angry, And this guy is. When it kills someone, anyone, anyone who comments on the Fed to give this terrific guy an attaboy, he's not some live-action drama. This is not Federal Reserve Season 2, pal's back and he's bigger than ever. We're talking about a public servant who's very good at his job, which is rarity in this day and age. Now, the people who sold this afternoon did so because they're worried the Fed's going to suck up all the liquidity while also accelerating inflation. Never mind that those actual claims are totally contradictory. They're afraid that the Fed won't dump its trillions of dollars in bonds fast enough. But the late afternoon rollover, though, uh, the buyers, well, they were still there. They were there because the big bad events finally behind us. And Powell didn't do anything that surprising, like hitting us with an immediate 50 base point rate. He didn't do that. There just weren't enough buyers to staunch the bleeding from the aggressive sellers who came in with their machine guns and obliterated everything that had been going up on strong earnings. That was the dispiriting part of the session. The sellers reacting to the much more hawkish pal to- tone in the press conference compared to the dovish tone in the statement ended up getting the last word. So, I mean, we could say, oh, boy, what a bad day. That just happened to be where- when the bell rang. So when it comes to stocks, not j style or demeanor, which side is correct? The bulls or the bears? Honestly, neither. If you're buying companies that make and sell valuable things for a nice profit and return some of those profits to shareholders, I think you're going to do just fine. If you're still buying companies that make no money but grow fast, you won't do fine at all because Powell's not on that team anymore. Now, the stocks of big companies went down, too, but unlike the SPACs and the IPOs of the last year, I think they'll be able to bounce back once the S&P futures finish their butchery. Ah, you may ask, aren't companies doing badly already? Isn't Powell going to have to destroy the economy in order to stave off inflation? Regardless of what he said today, shouldn't we sell everything? Isn't that why we had a resumption of the same sell orders that pushed us lower on Monday and Tuesday the moment Powell went off script and riffed about rate hikes? I think the answer actually is no. I want you to consider the following. We're now a couple of weeks into earnings season. Let's go over the scorecard. Right now, the major companies that have reported, we've seen a huge number of upside surprises, sustainable upside surprises. Doesn't mean their stocks can soar when there are high explosives coming at your way, hurled by the program house or sellers. But it will matter when the selling stops. Since earnings season began, we've had beat and raise quarters from Johnson Johnson, American Express, Procter and Gamble, IBM, Texas Instruments, United Health, Microsoft, Verizon, Travelers, Raytheon, 3M, and Wells Fargo. OK, we've had some downside surprise from Boeing. It's terrible. Netflix. All right. And, you know, a G at yeah. J.P. Morgan, which was really more of a taper tantrum thrown by a guy who runs the bank. So that's the actual rundown right there. Many more huge capitalization companies doing well than Bailey. That's it. OK, now you can say, so what, Jim? they bad. The good ones do bad. The bad ones do bad. And that's what happens when Powell speaks. Uh, don't you see that, Jim? I mean, can't you see that's the future? No. I'm not so sure. I don't like to grade myself by where the sell programs went out. If you're in- investing for the long term in the kinds of solid companies I keep recommending, and that's these, then a lot of what caused the market to plummet was just inside baseball. The machines, and they were machines that just kept firing off seller after seller for bids could could rise up. Well, they don't know anything about this list of upside surprises. They don't have any understanding that some companies are doing better than others because they just square all companies the same, as if they're like wheat or corn. All I know is that those sellers spoke last, Up Tomorrow, when we go back to valuing individual companies, I think it'll be more of the same that we had of late. The world changed in November when Powell told you he'd, soon, he'd be done stoking the economy. He's done. If your company can still make things and sell them at a profit in a rising interest rate environment, these, because rates really went up big today, don't let these high-speed sell programs scare you away from value. But if we get a bounce, and we should, because we have only been this oversold on that S&P oscillator that I like, Four times in six years. Four and all. But the COVID crash was a terrific buy opportunity. So if we get that bounce that I'm expecting, please relieve yourself of the SPACs and the recent IPOs and the junk, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clunkers. As we will see later in the show, despite the decline, we still couldn't find many that are worth buying and there's so many that are worth selling. Here's the bottom line. Fed tightening cycles are bearish. The Fed is no longer your buddy pal friend. j not going to bail out you out of any crummy companies anymore with easy money. He's going to crush you if you're in these SPACs and these IPOs. The Fed put, it's dead. But that doesn't mean everything's bad. It merely means there are fewer ideas that are good. They still exist, though. You just have to know where to find them. Elliott in Illinois, please. Elliott. Booyah, Jim. How you Booyah. doing? Booyah. So
1: I got a question on stock that a lot of people said was going to be a reopening play. I bought it in September of twenty one. It's been trading sideways since. I think it's all about profitability with this company. What do you think about Uber? Give me some good news, chill
0: man. Oh, the chill man be hurting here because that doesn't fit the new reality. Uh, that's a company that is a very good company, but it loses money. And I'm no longer inclined to recommend companies that lose money on the show because I want what I call viewers, and in Indiana. And Jim, thanks for taking my call. Okay, thank you. Trying to figure out how to buy on a dip for a reason and not just buy on any old dip. Could you talk
2: about that through the lens of. Estee Lauder,
0: which is, <laughs> you were like, listen, were you in our, my morning meeting this morning with Jeff Marks? Yeah. They, we were sitting there saying, okay, what level? I keep, because I want Estee Lauder so badly, because I think the word about Fabrizio, Fred, and they're terrific coming in. And Jeff keeps saying, Jim, it's still too expensive. It's so expensive. It sells it 39 times. Zero. I keep saying, no, you got to buy, you got to buy. He says, no, not yet, not yet. We are in the throes of looking about where we first bought it, which is a little bit lower. You know, we sold it really high. We are on the verge of making the move in Estee Lauder. And that's what you got to do is be a member of the investing club. I cannot believe that you mentioned that stock. That was the one that we were going hammer and tongs today. So anyway, look, good ideas exist. There's just fewer of them. You got to know where to find them. But look at all these. Hey, you've heard of every one of these. Every one. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Wall Street has been an absolute roller coaster. So is it time to start putting some money to work? And where should you look? I'm doing some screening to try to find those smaller ones that you like, but I've got to have profitable ones. I don't like those other ones anymore. By the way, in the SPACs, I know where you live. Anyway, I'm hunting for opportunity. I'm revealing a corner of the market that can help your portfolio compute futures. Uh, Qualtrics, port after the bell. I'm digging into the numbers with the company's top branch. You have to use a different kind of subscription accounting. to actually profitable on that basis. But you know what? Uh, The SPACs, the IPOs, the Fed put. Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Day started pretty cool, right? But now it finished another down day in the wake of the big bad Fed meeting. So we decided to get a little more optimistic. We think it's time to sort amongst the rubble given the incredible declines that we've had and now oversold conditions that exist, to see if it lasts, there aren't some higher-quality bargains somewhere. The last couple of months have been an absolute bloodbath. Ever since late November, I've been warning you to circle the wagons around boring companies that make real things and provide real services and generate real profits. The investing club is sick of hearing that. I don't care. It's right. If you took that advice, your portfolio has not necessarily made a lot of money, but it's held up much better than those who tried to stick with the formerly high-flying stocks with no earnings that have been annihilated. But in some nooks and crannies, I think the selling is actually going too far. Too many babies getting thrown out with a small cap bathwater, perhaps. So I want to start searching for bargains in the hardest hit group, simply because the declines have been so severe. Remember, some stocks actually do get cheaper as so they go lower. So how do you gauge what may actually be cheap? Well, what we did is this. We ran a screen, a very basic screen. We took a look at the Russell 3000, the largest publicly traded companies in America. And we searched for any stocks that are both down 50% from their highs. Okay, 50% or more. And that also sell for less than 50 times earnings. Down 50, less than 50. In other words, we want huge discounts, but we also want quality companies that are actually profitable, meaning their stocks got cheaper as they went lower. Now, within the Russell 3000, there were 2,446 stocks that are large enough for us to talk about on air. Within that group, more than 81% were down, at least 10% from the 52-week highs as of last night's close. Just over half were down, at least 20%. That's bear market territory. More than a third of them were down, at least 30%. Still not low enough for us. Over a fifth of them were down, at least 40%. That's some severe widespread damage. But we wanted true bargains for you, stocks that are down at least 50%. And you know what? Of the 2,446 names in the Russell 3000 uh, that we can cover, 360 of them were actually down 50% or more from their highs as of last night's close. That's almost 15% of the total. Think about how concentrated these losses are. Now, for the second screen, though, how many of these down 50%ers also sell for less than 50 times sales? I mean, times earnings, not sales, times earnings. Well, okay, five of these didn't have any consensus earnings, so we don't know for 2022. So now we're down to 355. Within that group, 205 of these companies are expected to lose money this year. We don't want any of those. We've now got a clean list of 150 stocks out of 3,000 that are both down 50% and are also profitable. But maybe profitable is not enough. We want names with genuine value that suffer less than 50 times earnings, even though 50 times earnings is still pretty expensive. And lo and behold, in the end, we were left to 110 stocks they made the 50 50 list down 50% from the highs and trading at less than 50 times earnings frankly you know what i got to tell you out of 3000 i thought that 110 was wasn't bad i'm mean, 3,000 down 110. It was a heck of a lot more than we expected. I didn't think anything we have gotten that cheap. In a tough tape, this is the kind of screen that is the starting point, though. It's not any more than that. Now, I'm giving you the starting point. Let's take a look. Now, 11 of these large capitalization companies with valuations north of $10 billion, And that includes Moderna, you know them, Zoom Video, Biogen, Twitter, Rocket Companies, Viacom, CBS, Pinterest, Etsy, Discovery, Enphase, and Clarivate. So you've got COVID-era darlings like Moderna and Zoom, where Wall Street's now concerned about a future post-pandemic slowdown. Biogen's the drug company with a seemingly sketchy Alzheimer's drug that you know I don't think is good. That got approved last summer. Stay away. You got a pair of downtrodden social media stocks that have some interest to me, Twitter and Pinterest. Rocket, largest mortgage company in America, really tough to home with the Fed. uh, Fed about to tighten. Forget about it. You just can't do that. As for Viacom, CBS and Discovery, they're only in the list because their stocks got bid up ridiculously high by a hedge fund that was manipulating the market. So Clarivate, that seems interesting, right? It's a life science tech play. I don't really know it. I'm cracking the books on it. That leaves us with Etsy and Enphase, both names that we called out from the CNBC Next Gen 50 index on Monday night. Etsy for e-commerce, very good. Enphase for solar, I like it. I think those are actually buys. This is a pretend. pretend maybe just give it some time. And this one I think is really interesting. So, of the plus ten billion, I'm like in N I'm like in Etsy. I'm like in Twitter and maybe Pinterest. All right. So now let's go down another tier, going smaller. There are ten mid cap companies that made the list with valuations between five and ten billion. And that's Avis Budget, UWM Holdings, Upstart, Penn Nat. Marivel Life Sciences, The Gap, Altice USA, Platika Holding, Novavax, and Boston Beer. Avis, the rental car business, has seen its stock fall 70% in the last three months. I like the business, but earnings are expected to fall off a cliff starting next year. So maybe its seemingly cheap valuation is misleading. UWM is the number two mortgage originator in America. They've been on a couple times. They'll tell you they do better than the competition in a rising interest rate environment. Now, I don't care. This one just hasn't worked. It's been a nightmare. Upstarts, the company that uses artificial intelligence to make FICO scores obsolete. This stock got bid up way too high during the fintech love affair. Now it's back down. I don't know if it's cheap, 43 times earnings, but they're real. Okay, so we're going to stick with that. Penn Nat made a big bet on online sports gambling, an industry that's way too competitive for me right now. Maybe after COVID and before the big giveaways to get customers and it's good. I don't know. I think so. Maraville Life Sciences has technology that enables all those mRNA based COVID vaccines. So it's the same as Moderna. Post pandemic doesn't work. Gap is down huge because they totally screwed up the holiday season. Maybe they've been punished enough with the stock selling at less than 10 times earnings. Intriguing. Altis broadband and cable provider seems to be struggling. No, thanks. My ticket Israeli mobile game developer missed latest last quarter. If uh, you take two's big bid for Zynga, is that for Zynga? No, no, it, I'm not saying about that all energy. Now, as for Novavax, single was great. As for Novavax, I say I like Novogratz, not Novavax. No, thank you. I really haven't been able to get the FDA approval that they've been telling you they're going to be able to get for the COVID vaccine. Finally, there's Boston Beer, maker of Sam Adams and Truly Hard Seltzer. Earlier this month, they hit us with a negative pre-announcement because the hard seltzer business has gotten way too competitive. Boston Beer's in the penalty box. Well, I don't know. So I got upstart. Okay, Better than a sharp stick in the eye. How about the remaining 89 companies that made the list, the ones that are smaller than 5000000000 billion? I'm willing to stick my neck out on a bunch of these. Revolve Group is a digital power retailer I think has been unfairly punished. The last quarter was excellent. Hey, speaking of retailers, you got Bed Bath & Beyond. You know I think that that is worth a lot more than it's selling for. Ollie's Bargain Out, like I like that. Nordstrom, but family-owned. In a world where even Kohl's can catch and not one but two takeover bids, these could all be worth more than we think. As a member of Ollie's Army, I can't resist that stock. I also think Bed Bath & Beyond Bye Bye Baby Unit is worth the price of the entire company. Call me good, good, good. Okay, now, I'm also enticed by Corsair Gaming, the computer hardware play, with its stock down at 12 times earnings. Hey, Logitech had a lot of great things to say last night about gaming. We spoke to them, right? And they're a partial competitor. Unfortunately, this one got bit up by that meme stock crew. Think AMC and GameStop. And after that Corsair pump and dump was over, it never came back. There's also Serence, an automotive tech supplier that has contracts with nearly everybody in the industry. As the automakers overcome the semiconductor shortage and ramp up production, I bet this one bounces back. I kind of like that. All right. Finally, there's Torrid, uh, a direct-to-consumer brand specializing in plus-size apparel. Symbols Curve, C Stock's been hard-hit after a pair of negative updates in the last couple of quarters, the uh, last couple of months, actually. But these problems were COVID-related. Torrid's an $8 stock that's expected $1 per share. That could be a winner. So I'm going to circle Torrid. Here's the bottom line. After the seemingly nonstop pummeling, we finally have a bunch of stocks that are cheap enough to buy. But alas, I remain committed to my mantra. You need to buy the stocks of real companies that make real things and sell them for big profits that they then return to shareholders via dividends and buybacks. We're done with all the SPACs, with all the IPOs and thousands of other stocks that just lose money in an environment where interest rates are going higher and the Fed is not your friend. But, hey, I found... Almost a dozen stocks out of 3,000. Getting there. Sit with Kramer.
2: Coming up, is the market showing a soft spot for hardware? Don't hit Control-Alt-Delete on the PC makers until you hear Kramer's take on the cohort. Next.
0: Since the Fed got serious about tamping down inflation back in November, I've been warning you that the menu of workable investments has shrunk dramatically. It's going to be my theme. It started with the investing club in November. Out of the recent IPOs, the fast growing new tech stocks and the miserable SPACs and scams in which boring, tangible companies that can turn a profit and even return those profits to shareholders do exist. And we keep looking for them for you. Even if new tech is out, I think old tech has a place in this new market. Which brings me to two large PC makers that are cheap as all get out. Dell Technologies and HP Inc. Both of these stocks have soared since the beginning of the pandemic. as COVID spurred a wave of computer buying from individuals as well as their employers? However, many now expect the PC boom to end this year once Omicron subsides and the world starts going back to normal. If we roll back the rise of remote work, then that removes a major source of demand. But I think the analysts may be wrong. I'm actually very optimistic about the PC space, including Dell, HP, and Apple, although we'll save that for tomorrow. First, let me set the stage so you understand what we're working with here. We'll start with Dell, which was taken private by Michael Dell and Silver Lake Partners way back in 2013. The company came public again at the end of 2018, and I immediately pounded the table on this one because I liked Michael Dell so much and because I said it was too cheap to ignore trading just six times earnings. It turned out to be a very good call. Since I recommended Dell in January of 2019, the stock's given you about a 150% gain. S&P's up 65% same period. Most of those gains have come over the last year and a half because the of the stay-at-home economy. has been very good for business. Dell had record sales in their 2021 fiscal year, which ended 12 months ago. And it looks like they're going to uh, break the record again in the 2022 fiscal year. The story is actually pretty simple. Once the pandemic arrived and people were forced to work or study from home, everyone started spending a lot more money on their computers. Then as parts of the world went back to normal last year, at least in terms of going back to the office, companies ramped up their tech spending, especially for servers, networking equipment, and storage. And that's Dell. Wow. They do it through their infrastructure division. Along the way, the company also done a lot to simplify the business. They decided to fully spin off their VMware subsidiary in a move that they completed last November. It raised the company $9 billion. They also sold their booming cloud business to a pair of private equity firms, $4 billion. Dell's been able to use that money to pay down a substantial amount of debt. That had been the reason why people didn't like the stock. Very good news, because the balance sheet was not pretty. They had nearly $54 billion in debt at the end of January 2019. They're now down to $32 billion. They just throw off the cash. And Michael Dell's there. and I like him. Now, in late November, Dell reported its most recent results, and it knocked it out of the park. 21% revenue growth, 17% earnings growth. Both of their core businesses were on fire, especially client solutions, which includes that PC biz, up 35% year-over-year. Even better, management gave phenomenal guidance for the next quarter. The analysts were looking for $25.5 billion. Dell said it would be more like $27 to $28 billion. After the quarter, Morgan Stanley's Katie read the best tech hardware analyst on Wall Street, pointed out that Dell's taking share in commercial PCs, and they've got a nice backlog on the storage side of the business, too. In response, the stock jumped 4.8% the next day, ultimately rallying all the way to 60 and change a little more than a week ago. But thanks to the market-wide meltdown, you get it at 55 bucks. I don't know, man. This is what I'm looking for. Hey, how about the HP PC and printer business of the old at Ewell Packard? Here's a stock that was really struggling in a couple of years before the pandemic. But then Enrique Loris took over as CEO in late 2019. He's masterminded a brilliant turnaround doesn't hurt that they've gotten the same boost as Dell from the pandemic. If there's one wrinkle here, it's the attempted Xerox merger orchestrated by activist investor Carl Icahn. Very weird situation. Smaller company trying to buy a big one. Ultimately, HP rejected the offer and to appease Icahn. They also announced a major value creation plan that included a massive $15 billion with a B buyback. At the time, that represented roughly half of the- company's market cap. Fast forward to the most recent results in late November. HP smashed the estimates. 9.3 percent revenue growth, phenomenal 52 percent earnings growth. They also gave you very bullish earnings guidance for the next quarter and the full 2022 fiscal year. We spoke to Ricky Lawyers on the show the night of the report, and he said he's seeing strong demand across both consumer and commercial clients. He also talked about some, buying some acquisitions this year in order to build more of a growth portfolio. While the stock jumped in response and climbed much higher after that, it's now giving back all those post-quarter gains, again, because of the sell-up. Now, the big risk for both Dell and HP here is that PC sales will slow down and for two years of COVID fuel growth. A lot of people think that's going to happen. Pretty much everyone expects a PC slowdown this year. I, I, they're not going to be wrong. Microsoft said it last night. Their Surface tablets were one of the least impressive lines, up just 8% compared to 20% for the whole company. So, yes, the PC uh, slowdown is coming. However... There's more to the story because not all PC businesses are created equal. I think Dell and HP sales may prove to be more durable. When the analysts talk about PC slowdown this year, they're focused on the consumer, not the enterprise, which is huge for these two companies. I think the work from home trend benefits Apple more than these two. But if you, want, you, know, if you think we're about to have a back uh, to work trend, well, they're going to be winners. At the same time, they've both got substantial backlog thanks to the semi-shortage, crimping production. That means PC sales could end up being better than expected this year, simply because Dell and HP aren't fulfilling all the orders they could complete in 2021. Second mitigating factor, these companies make more than just computers. HP's got a huge printing division that sells tons of consumables. Dell has its infrastructure solutions group that sells servers and networking equipment. In other words, their broader plays on enterprise tech spending, not just consumer PC business. Those two differences make these stocks cheaper than they seem. Third and most important, I think Dell and HP are perfect stocks for the current moment, where Wall Street suddenly appreciates shareholder-friendly companies with cheap stocks. It's hard to find a better value than these two. Dell, 6.4 times next year's earnings. HP, 8.5 times next year's numbers. And keep in mind, they're both constantly shrinking the share count. Meanwhile, HP supports you a beautiful 2.8% dividend yield. They're committing to buying back at least $4 billion worth of stock in 2022 fiscal year. Dell doesn't have a dividend, but as they pay down debt, they could get more aggressive with their buyback, something the chief operating officer hinted at when he spoke at an industry event in December. Bottom line, even if Dell and HP can't repeat the kind of explosive growth they had last year, these two value stocks should be able to thrive this year, even with j not being on a lot of the stuff side. Uh, and that's because value is very much back Back in the Style on the Wall Street Fashion Show. And these two, they have it in spades. Let's take calls. Let's go to Mark and Florida. Mark.
2: Hi, Jim. I'm enjoying the Investing Club emails and videos.
0: Thanks oh, for thank those. Oh, thank you. 1020, we did some really good ones today. That's if you join the club. It's exclusive to club members. 1020 morning meeting. You can get it. Please watch it. we even got it working now on the mobile. How can I help?
2: Uh, all right. My question's about Workday. The most recent earnings were a 28% beat on estimates, and I took profits. I've been looking to buy back in, but lately there's been recent downgrades, heavy put buying, and price target reductions. I don't see a reason why. Where do you think it's going from here?
0: Look, I think it's, again, because of the Fed, what we're targeting, companies that are selling at more than 50 times earnings have been problematic, even if they're great companies. And that's Workday. Let's see how Qualtrics does tonight, because that one grows at a similar, well, actually grows faster than Workday. And let's see whether it goes up. The market is very mean and angry right now, and we can't blame it, because the Fed is not our friend. Theodore in California, please. Theodore.
1: Hey, Jim. Booyah. How are you Booyah.
0: doing? I'm doing all right. How about you?
1: You're doing good. My question is, I've been heavily invested in, in tour since the start of this month. I want to get your take on it.
0: I'm sorry. What stop was that? Oh, man, I think Intuit's great. I was telling my wife when I was watching all those ads this weekend. They're sponsoring a lot of stuff. This is a great company, but then I did—I pulled out the file because I'm watching I'm watching all the ads. 43 times earned. Anything that snores and say, 25, 30, the gets angry, It doesn't like. Intuit will have its day, though. It is a fantastic company. You can put it away. Value is back, baby. And that means that even if Dell and HP don't have the same kind of explosive growth as had last year, they could still thrive. Self-help matters. Much more mad money ahead, including my specific with Qualtrics that I just mentioned. With tech stocks under pressure, could Qualtrics be a way to play the struggling sector? Maybe you just put it away. I'm talking to the company's top brass. And Microsoft reported last night and provided a valuable insight and lesson for investors. I'll reveal what you could learn from the post-earnings action. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tonight, we got a very interesting test case on our hands when Qualtrics, symbol XM, reported after the close. Now, this is an experienced management software company with a stock. It's fascinating. The stock's been obliterated over the last couple of months, down nearly 50 percent from its member highs, like some of the other the software plays. But after the close, Qualtrics reported a set of numbers that I think are emblematic of the group. They delivered an amazing top line beat, 48 percent revenue growth, coupled with a larger than expected earnings per share loss, though. Then they gave excellent revenue guidance with inline earnings guidance. Unfortunately, this market just doesn't have much patience for unprofitable companies, even if they have great revenue growth and have been around for a long time and have fantastic brand names. But investors did seem receptive to this result, as Qualtrics shares were up 5% in after-hours trading. So could this one finally be getting cheap enough to be worth picking at? Or will superior growth without profit continue to spell losses for shareholders? Let's check in with Ryan Smith, the founder and executive chairman of Qualtrics International, and Zig Sarpin, he's the CEO. Gentlemen, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having us, Jim. Thank you. Now, Thanks, Ryan, Jim. Good to see you. Ryan, it's been 20 years. starting in the base. Working all the way up. It's been a remarkable run. People use It's almost generic now. That you have to have Qualtrics. The place I worked at, Goldman Sachs has it. Barclays uses Qualtrics. BMW uses Qualtrics. Everybody I know uses Qualtrics. What's it like to hit the billion-dollar rev line? You know, when you're a founder
2: and you're sitting in the basement, Jim, and, and the first dollar comes in, you're dreaming of what life could be, and you're hoping that you could actually develop a company that that people want to use and software that people want. And to be here 20 years later and to go through a billion in revenue, uh, especially while we're accelerating, um, the business has never been better. We signed up 3,000 customers last year. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I, I think it's it's a testament to the category that we created in experience management. The, the team that we have, this is the best team we've ever had along that 20-year journey with Zig. You know, CEO and a world-class CEO in that. And I couldn't be more excited. It's, it's actually pretty incredible that experience is at the forefront of everything. It's what every customer is trying to, trying to understand. They're trying to build a moat around their business mm-hmm. through, through running it really from the outside in. And, um, there's never been a better time for, for Qualtrics and, this space, and we're excited for the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, and, and Zig, let me put it this way if, if I were running the company, I would want to get revenue growth. You're experiential, you own this whole category, particularly in a period where people are leaving their job and they have their choices, and most CEOs have no idea how to deal with it other than to call you in. So, what's the tension between going just full bore and maybe even getting to 2 billion in REVs but having to lose a lot of money or just saying, OK, listen, now because this market is the way it is, I guess we've got to start slowing our expectations in order to make profits for shareholders.
1: Well, look, Jim, as you pointed out, this is an outstanding quarter that we came off of. And I think I'll call out the fact that this is the fourth consecutive quarter of robust growth. Uh, you know, and, and in fact in Q4, our subscription revenue is up 61% year over year. And so look at the end of the day we see a robust market we're managing for growth but we're also managing it with discipline I mean if you look at 2021 we had a non-GAAP operating margin operating margin positive result that we have and we're actually guiding to 1.4 billion in revenue this next year. And we're also going to be operating margin profitable. So that's the way that we're managing it. And we're the leader in this market, as you pointed out.
0: See, I think see, one of the problems is someone who ran a subscription business. People don't understand subscription accounting. In reality, if you wanted to, if we were allowed to just book it as rev, because er, it would be earnings, because these people aren't canceling. But you don't. What What is the true metric that can tell our viewers why this stock actually is very cheap? Because as a subscription guy, I know it is cheap.
1: Well, as yeah, you I know, would, very well, it's a very yeah, important metric.
0: Oh, oh, go ahead, Zig, first, and then I'll, 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 I'll let Ryan it, take a shot at it. Go ahead, Zig. There's
1: a really important metric, which is your net net, net, net recurring revenue growth, or NRR, 128% this last quarter. <laughs> right, And that's actually a sign of the fact that companies are expanding and they're building on our platform. There's CEOs that are actually taking their entire company and they're saying, let's standardize on this platform because we wanna be able to use this to be able to get a 360 understanding of our customers. We wanna get connected to our employees and we wanna be able to make much better decisions in the way that we run our business. And so that's a really important metric, 128%. That's a record metric. And it actually, I think, illustrates the core health of this business.
0: Well, I, mean, I think, and again, what people, I saw this happen with the people, the companies that were first in, in uh, customer relations management and then the companies that were in HR. And people like had one of these squalls like we have right now uh, where people only want companies that make a lot of you know, big dividends and stuff. And what happens, Ryan, is, is people say, you know what, I don't want to win. The, I don't want the category winner. That category winner is never going to make any money. But isn't it the truth? that you're making fortunes, it's just you're spending to get even bigger, which is what I would want as a growth manager.
2: Yeah, and I think if you look at it, you know, I, I had a friend who, who called me this weekend, he said, hey, do you power all of Las Vegas? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, look, from this time I got on the airplane to when I did my rental car, to getting to the hotel, to going to the sports event, these are all separate organizations and every one of them was asking me how I felt and how the experience was. And it was all powered by Qualtrics. And so when you're in this type of a market, um, and we've grown responsibly for 20 years. We are one of the most cash-effective and efficient organizations that's out there. So it's not like we're an organization that's not growing responsibly, as as Zig just said. And we're guiding a $1.4 next year. This is the type of company that I obviously want to be a part of. I mean, I'm 20 years in and I hope to do it for another 20 years after that. And, you know, Qualtrics will be that type of company. And so that's what I'm excited about. That's how we think about it. And we couldn't be more
0: excited. So, see, what you have to do is you have to just keep running the business as a business, getting new customers, making more and more money. And then what's going to happen is people one day are going to say, oh, my God, look at that operating cash flow. These guys are crushing it. Uh, we don't just use their product, but we also see them making a lot of money. That is kind of the progression as you see it, isn't it? Yeah, and look, Jim, I
1: mean, we've been building this company with a long-term orientation. We want, you know, 10 years from now for people to look back and say, this is a great company, not just a company that achieved a few metrics here and there. And so we've been managing that way. We pay attention to the key metrics. We have a significant market and a demand that's coming our way that's all in our favor. We've designed a technology architecture that's very unique. And frankly, you know, as you pointed out, it's going to be as important as HR systems and CRM systems. This becomes the epicenter of actually building deeper connections with your customer and your employee.
0: Well, I just wish we had accounting. I know they won't let us do it that would show exactly how you guys are actually making a ton of money. But I know the way the accounting rules are, and I know you can't say it, but having been in that business, I know that you're killing it and you're being the only brand in an incredibly important category. I want to congratulate 20 years to Ryan Smith, founder, executive chair, and CEO Zig and Just a fantastic job, job. I sure hope that the market comes back to companies that are crushing it, even if it turns out that all they're doing is growing and growing and growing. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank Thanks, you, Jim. Jim. Guys, look, I think that having one or two great growth companies that aren't necessarily giving you a big dividend are fine. And this is the kind of one I like because this is one that's like Salesforce, maybe uh, 10 years ago, where everybody said, oh, wow, what is that? And then it turns out that they were all using it. And next thing you know, they were crushing it. They have money back in for the bank. Around, may I make a suggestion? I would stay with him.
1: The lightning round is coming up next.
0: It is time for the lightning round. What's up, Mark? Of course, one of the citizens oh, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, ski time for the lightning round. Chris, one Jeremy in Florida. Jeremy, booyah, Professor Kramer, booyah, back at you. What can you tell me about ARC Best, trucking? I like trucking. I like ARC Best. But you know what? We did that really good compare last night at Union Pacific versus CSX. Union Pacific's modal business, intermodal business is really good. I'd rather go with diversification. Holly in New York. Holly. Booyah, Jim, from Eastern Long Island. I'm going to put Holly on. Oh, great. Thank you. Booyah, Jim. What do you
2: think about Roblox
1: Stock, RBLX?
0: Oh, thank you, Holly. We're getting young people in. we getting young people in. Here's the problem with Roblox. It's good for you, Holly, not good for a lot of others. That's because ever since the Fed changed its tune back in November, they know the market's too angry to like these long-term value stocks. But it's okay for you. you got your whole life ahead of you. You should be a buyer of Roblox because it's a great company. How about let's go to Max in Illinois. Max. Jim, booyah, big guy. Booyah, Max. What's up? Hey, I want your thoughts on Ulta. Uh, I think right Ulta's shooting the lights out. out. I think Dave Kimball's doing a fantastic job. I think Ulta's one of the retailers that I want to own. Down in steps, 350 then maybe 300 Pick some up. They're really doing well. Joe in North Carolina. Joe.
2: Yeah, hey. Uh, calling about Jazz Pharmaceutical.
0: All right. Now, I like Jazz at one time, but, you know, Jazz is a company. It's a very inexpensive company. I have to reopen why it's so inexpensive, because holy cow, something is not right there. So let me come back. How about Tom in Illinois? Tom. Jim, how's it going? It's going very well. Long days, but going well. How about
2: you? Uh, I can't complain. It's cold over here, but uh, I'm
0: inside right now. Okay. I've got a question for you. CPE. I got in it when it was rock bottom uh, 2020. And uh, I made a pretty nice game so no, far. No, no, you My haven't made question. anything yet. Callen's real. I think you got more room. More room in the upside. You stay low that, buddy. Okay? Let's go to Angela in Pennsylvania. Angela. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm an investment club member and oh, first-time caller. How you doing? Thank I you. I have a question. Okay. I have a question about Zynga. The a symbol is Z-N-G-A. Well, that one's I'm, over. I mean, take 2's buying it. This is The consolidation going on in this industry is incredible. And by the way, last night on the Microsoft call, you can see why they're buying Activision Blizzard. It's going to make so much sense by Microsoft. Dave in Ohio, Dave. Booyah, Mr. Framer. I'm liking that spirited booyah. What's going on, my friend? The
2: stock I'm calling about recently announced a $550 million cash deal to acquire The Athletic. It was diluted for earnings, and the street did no. not like it one bit. Do you like this as an entry point of a 52-week low for a long-term investment? Oh, uh, no. And I mean, I wish – York- I happen to
0: like that CEO very much, Mar- uh, Meredith Levian. She, she's sensational. I wish she had talked to me. As much as I like the athletic, she overpaid. It's okay. Hey, they were investors at one point in the street.com. I and mean, I know them. They're, the, the New York Times is a great company, but they paid a little too much for that. And that has really hurt the valuation. And I'm sorry, because I think it's a fantastic product. Both up, both are great product, but you can't pay that much. Let's go to Michael in Wisconsin, please. Michael. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um, I would like to have
1: your take on F5. Um, It has outperformed the S&P over the last uh, six months. What is your opinion? uh, Well, you know, this
0: is the, uh, the guys who control basically the red light, green light, internet highway, but they did have a supply problem. And you can't, there's no room for mistakes anymore in any technology company. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round. Is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, there's news you can use
0: and plenty of news you should lose. Kramer flags a key point that could make or break your earnings season, and it's next. Okay, listen to me, if I run a class, a trading class, not a class on investing like I do, a trading class, I'd start by wanting you to curb your impatience during earnings season, by which I mean stop relying on the instant headlines that are often computer generated and therefore frequently off the mark. Case in point, Microsoft. That's a $2 trillion company that everyone has heard of. But somehow the headlines we saw after the close were dead wrong. Now, if you can't rely on the headlines for something this iconic, how can you rely on them for anything else? As is always the case, Microsoft released a dry statement about how it's doing. That's the actual earnings report, in keeping with their typical bare-bones style. They even did throw in an outline of deeper, a deeper critique of the world, how Microsoft's addressing huge global problems. But finally, as the conference call went on, they told us what they're doing and will do in the tasks at hand. That's been Microsoft's style ever since Amy Hood became the chief financial officer in 2013. I feel like I've known Amy forever because she was a heavy hitter at Goldman Sachs in the previous century. She's meticulous, she's rigorous, and she doesn't suffer fools gladly, thank heavens. Amy orchestrates her conference call part, because uh, Sonia Nadella starts it, her part so perfectly, so consistently, that you know when you get to about the half-hour mark, she's going to tell you how things are really going in all of Microsoft's key divisions. And then she will tell you What's going to happen in the future? Yes, she gives you the forecast. It's the guts of the conference call, And for any stock junkie like me, it's riveting. Because when a company puts up flawless results over and over, any miss on any line will be regarded as a huge and perhaps negative surprise. Once again, though, that didn't happen. Instead, we got great commentary. And I think she was giving analysts the green light to raise their estimates, in part because their Azure cloud business is on fire raise it to the point where it could actually accelerate later this year. Is that really so hard to get your head around? Well, apparently it is, because initially, right after the bell, before that conference call began, we got a host of headlines, not from the company, but from the reporters, some of them computer-generated, about how Microsoft's growth was slowing. And the epicenter of that slowdown was none other than the cloud business. Yep, Azure. The engine that's driven the last 100 points of the stock's run had supposedly run out of gas, according to the headlines, which meant that Microsoft had to be sold nine ways to Sunday, which it was. These stories made you feel like this would be another Netflix-level catastrophe. So if you look at the chart, you'll see this gigantic dip down, all right, right here. This is all after-hours trading before, right here, right here, is the release comes out, and these are people who are relying. And there was also a nail support that came out instantly that was also wrong. So all of this happened while people were waiting for Amy to speak. And then, boom, she speaks right there. She speaks the truth. And a pirouette emerges. This was a senseless decline. And it cost people like you fortunes. And it's my job to stop that. How do you protect it? Hair protect against these Simple. You have to do the work. I call it the craft actually. And recognize that nobody will have any idea how Microsoft's doing until you get to the part in the conference call where Amy Hood gives you the guidance. That's what the professors were all waiting for. That's how they knew to come in. That's how they picked off the losers. It's why the stock came right back up after the initial headline-induced pullback. Investing is hard enough when you've got to to figure out if the company has met or failed to meet expectations for the quarter. Why make it even harder for yourself by relying on premature stories that contain out-of-context or outright wrong information, especially when those stories are often written by a computer to beat the other computer-generated stories, even if they are not correct? Just do yourself a favor. Stop relying on this nonsense and wait to hear the darn conference call. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise i try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.